Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. He is alive. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Civil. If you got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. I'll be there in a minute. God is here. Amen. Y'all didn't sound excited about that. He is here. Amen. 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 How about that worship this morning? How about that worship? How about that worship? That was good, yeah? Hallelujah. We are, in a, we are in a very unique season right now. I just want to tell you. We're in a season of heightened spiritual activity. Whether you've experienced it or not, I have um, been encountering God in exciting ways, and I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty, pretty happy about it. And, and, and you know, we, are, we need this because we're in some troubling times. How many of you know that? How many of you know there's some crazy stuff going on in our planet right now? There's some crazy things going on in our country right now. There's crazy things going on in our society right now. But our God is not crazy, amen? When we're in these troubling times, we need, we need to be able to stand in faith, Amen? We need, we need a faith that endures troubling times. We need a faith that is not shaken by the world around us. We need a faith that stands firm knowing who God is. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that there will be times of trouble when even the elect, if possible, will be deceived. And we've seen so many times people behaving in the name of Jesus in ways that don't look anything like Jesus. Can you say amen? I was interacting with a well-known man online last night who was talking about... Oh, geez, I shouldn't even start my message like this. This is just, this is just your pastor. This is just your pastor. There, there, there's a brand of... of of masculinity that's being sold as Christianity, and it's not. And he was going on and on about how it's God's plan that every man should be married. And as a matter of fact, being single is akin to being a curse, and man should be seeking to marry. And I'm like, that's funny. You're developing a theology that calls Jesus a sinner. That's, that's amazing. You might want to check with the author of the book before you come up with nonsense theologies like this. People parading themselves as Christian leaders, don't even know that Jesus was single. How is this possible? How is it possible that the perfect man is not the perfect example of your theology? It's because in troubling times, even the elect may be deceived. And so we better know who Jesus is. We better not just rely on what we learned in seminary or rely on what we heard on, on, on a TikTok clip. We better actually meet the man Jesus. Amen? We can't just hear about him. We can't just listen to sermon snippets. We have to know Jesus. We need to be able to stand in times of turmoil. Standing in obedience to what God told us to do. We need Bible faith. Hear me. Not faith in the Bible, but we need the faith that the people the Bible teaches us about had. We need that kind of faith in our life that is explained 
in the Bible, in the stories of the scriptures that have been passed down for 3,000 years now. This is what we need. If we ever needed some biblical literacy, now is that time. Can you say amen? amen. It's not the Bible or experience. The Bible causes us to have experiences. And our experiences cause us to understand the Bible. They go hand in hand. You need both. Amen? We need both. And uh, in a world that's trying to throw away one or the other for fear that if you study too much Bible. I remember when I came up, they talked about if you quoted too much scripture, they called it being religious. And those movements all went wacky. And then you go to places and they just all about the Bible and they wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if he came and slapped them on the forehead. Like we need the spirit of God at move in our house. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost here. And I am convinced. I am convinced that we are in a season of imputed faith, that God is depositing faith on the inside of people to do extraordinary things in this season. I've just I've just I've seen it. I believe it. I'm hearing it. And I know it's coming to pass in our lives. I want to talk a little bit today about that in the hopes that something happens on the inside of you, that you walk out of here today with faith you didn't have when you got here. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I've been stuck on a verse of Scripture. You ever been stuck on Scripture? You keep reading the Bible and something stands out and you just can't get it out of your spirit. You just have to keep meditating on it. Well, I happen to have a microphone, so when I'm stuck on a Scripture, I share it with you. And uh, I, I, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, I, I preached this a couple years ago. Excuse me, a couple weeks ago. Felt like years. It was only weeks. A couple weeks ago, Hebrews eleven twenty-seven says, By faith, Moses... Put first one up if you would, please. By faith... Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Well, we're not going to get that one right now. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. We've been talking about this scripture a lot. Let me read it to you in the NIV. He says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The New English translation says, By faith he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. Moses had this encounter with God, and it carried him out into uncharted territory because he went it says he walked as though he actually could see the invisible God. Friends, that is, that, is, that is called faith. And if you would like God to build your faith, challenge your faith, challenge you to walk in faith and give you faith challenges. I, if you missed our faith message series, I would encourage you to go listen to the entire thing and watch what God does in your heart. But he was seeing the one who is invisible. It's interesting that as the writer of Hebrews talks about this passage in the Old Testament, anytime the apostles would quote the Old Testament, 
they used it in a way that the Old Testament writers didn't use it. In the Bible, excuse me, in Bible studies, that's called a hermeneutic. Hermeneutics is the way in which you study scriptures. And there's various models of hermeneutics, but the apostles and the writers of scripture all of a sudden had learned the Old Testament their entire life. And after they encountered Jesus, they viewed all the Old Testament scriptures differently. Sometimes you would say that they would read texture, they would read scriptures out of context even, but it's because the Holy Ghost gave them a new context for Old Testament scriptures. All of a sudden, these things that were hidden in the Old Testament came to life to them because they had the Holy Ghost on the inside of them. They were reading this Old Testament by the Spirit of God with New Testament lenses, as it were. We know that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, but he felt like a, he felt like a fraud. He felt like a a foreigner felt like he didn't belong there at some point and he fled into the desert and he knew that the Pharaoh's people were not his people and Moses ran and wound up in Midian and he was pastoring a flock of sheep for his father-in-law Jethro and the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 10 which is what I want to exegete this morning Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 10, the Bible says. God showed up in a burning bush to Moses and God said to Moses, and now come, I will send you to Pharaoh. This is God talking to Moses from a burning bush. How did God talk to Moses from a burning bush like this? He talked to God from a burning bush. That is how it happened. You're like, but with the lips, here's what happened. God talked from a burning bush. And that's what happened. And it says, and now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, assuredly, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? And there's been, there's been a whole bunch of times in my walk that I have waited on a sign from God. How about you? He, 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 oftentimes, you don't get the sign you're looking for. Have you noticed that? Here is the key, or let me say, this is a key to getting God to give you a sign on what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Rarely will God give you a sign to do something you already wanted to do. We say something like, man, I really want to date that girl. God, give me a sign that she's the one. You can count on never getting that sign. God, I would like to move to another area because it looks cool to live there. Give me a sign that this is you. Then people come to you and they meet and they say, Pastor, I think I heard from God. And you're like, well, what, what did you hear from God about? I feel like I'm supposed to quit my job and just go travel. Like, and, 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 and how did God communicate this to you? Well, I looked at the clock and it said it was 11-11. I'm like, well, it says that twice a day. Every day. It says 247 twice a day. It says 554 twice a day. That is not a sign. That is you seeing what you want to see. When God tells you to do something, that you may not want to do. 
God will often give you a sign to confirm that not only are you not crazy, but that it will be rebellion to not follow him. These are the signs that God likes to give. God likes to tell you to do things that you're scared to do, that you don't want to do, but that he has called you to do because God communicates all kind of ways. He'll communicate from things like a burning bush that does not consume it. It does not make sense, but in your heart, it makes sense. This is what the communication of God looks like. Communication of God is not that I looked at the time on the clock and therefore I'm supposed to do this thing. The communication from God makes absolutely no sense. But in your heart, you know it was God speaking because it will cause you a sacrifice. It will cause you to do something you don't want to do. And it will cause you to honor God. This is how we know when God talks. And it doesn't always work the way we want. I remember when I was... um, I, was, I had a little outreach going, and I wasn't sure if I was supposed to start something. I didn't necessarily want to start a ministry because I had uh, been tr- part of a church plant, and it was a painful, painful experience, and I did not want to go through that pain again. I knew I wasn't so naive to think that ministry was going to be uh, fame and glory, and so I was like, Lord, I really don't want to do this. I, I, I'm, I'm a lay minister. I'm pretty happy about that. I'm, in youth ministry, things are going all right for me. And then a pastor came up to me and he said, you know, I feel like the Lord told me to give you my entire library. I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. How, how many books is that? He says, I don't know. It's about, it's about 50 books. I was like, that's a lot of books. Oh, 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 okay. And then I went about my life. I came home with, with the books and I was pretty happy because I'm a reader. Uh, and then I went somewhere and uh, there was someone was having a garage sale. And in their garage sale was a bunch of junk. And there were like three little theological books there. I was like, oh, this is how much are these books? And the lady said, do, 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 are you Christian? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian. And she said, hold on a second, let me call. And she come, came back, came back and said, actually, I just called my, uh, my father who moved out of town, um, and uh, he felt like uh, whoever asked about those books was supposed to get his library. I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. How many books are in his library? There were 2,000 books in his library. It was an entire room with three walls covered in books. I was like, well, that, 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 that might be a sign. That might be a sign. <laughs> Both pastors were Pentecostal. I was like, this, how, what, what, what? And then I get home, and there was, there was like, I had like a little condo, and there were like just stacks of books everywhere. And then I got a call from somebody. And he said, God's been on, you've been on my heart, and I, and I wanted to give you something. And I said, is it a library? He says, as a matter of fact, it is. We're moving, and uh, we're moving from Florida, Minnesota, and, you know, this is itinerant minister, and I just feel like God told me to give you my library. I'm like, well, I don't really have room for books, but okay, <laughs> you got me, God. I, I got books. I got books on books on books, you know? I wish they were money. They're not, but they're, they're books. But I just started getting these, these, these signs, and God was like, you're, you're going to need some of this, and I don't know. I probably have 20% of those books still I've given away, and some I've thrown away, but um, some were good, some not as good. But God was sending a message over and over and over again, like, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm actually calling you to do this thing you don't actually want to do. And I was like, well, God, if, if you're telling me, then I'll go through with it. But there's something, there's something about the encounter with God that marks you in a way that gets you to do stuff you don't want to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's something about the encounter of God that puts on your spirit it, it marks you indelibly. It, it puts a faith on the inside of you that causes you to do God things you could not 
or would not do on your own for the glory of God. And in this church, in Revival Life Church, and in our lives, we need to encounter God so that we can be Christ followers. Nobody in here is called to be a, a Chelsea follower or a Pastor Tracy follower or a Carl follower. We're called to be Christ followers. And you can't follow somebody you haven't met. We, we people have follow people on the internet. And I'm like, you don't even know that person. And then they're suddenly shocked that this person is not who they claim to be and aren't as wonderful as they portrayed themselves to be. Of course, you're following somebody you don't even know. You don't know their lives. You haven't seen their children. You haven't seen their day-to-day -day life. We have to know Jesus. We have to encounter him so we can follow him in spirit and truth. Amen? This, 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 that's the encounter with God. Put this up, please, if you would. In the encounter with God, the impossible seems perfectly reasonable. That's how you know you encounter God. You're in worship and a thought comes in your head. It's not ADHD. It's faith. Maybe I could go and do this thing. Maybe, maybe I could do this great thing for God. Maybe. Maybe God is just, maybe God has just come into contact with you. The New Testament writers, like I said, they viewed the Old Testament through this different lens. They had encounters with God. In Romans, Paul talks about Abraham as having a faith beyond what appeared to be logical. Abraham had a faith beyond understanding. In Genesis chapter 17, let me read this to you. In Genesis chapter 17, it says, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Amen. Amen. Abraham was different from that day forward. Abraham was changed from that encounter with God. I hear people give stories about encounters with God. Duke, you probably heard this. People who act like they have tea with Jesus every afternoon, but then it looks like they're spending every, after, every evening with the devil. You're like, did you really encounter God that often? And yet you got that many demons around your life that much. Possibly it's a delusion that you're going through because if you really had encountered God that often, I might see a little bit more fruit in your life. We want fruit-producing encounters with God. Amen. Amen. But Abraham was different from that day forward. He wasn't perfect, but he was different. And just like the New Testament writers had an encounter that changed how they saw the world and how they saw the Bible. They, they, they looked at the Bible completely differently after meeting the author of the book. After they encountered Jesus and got filled with the Spirit. i got to stop yelling. After, after... <clears throat> <clears throat> I was watching college football all day yesterday screaming and <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah. FAU won yesterday. I was pretty happy about that. Come on, somebody. Woo! 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 Theologians have this term. It's called sensor plenar. 
sensus plenar. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. It's a Latin word. It's sensus plenar. It means fuller meaning. Uh, let me read what Raymond Brown says about this. The, the sensus plenar is, is, is that additional, deeper meaning intended by God, but not clearly intended by the human author, which is seen to exist in the words of the biblical text or group of texts or even a whole book when they're studied in light of further revelation or development in the understanding of revelation. Pastor, what in the world does that mean? What that means is the writers of the Scripture were writing as they were led by Holy Spirit to write, right? That they were led, these were fallible humans. Holy Spirit didn't grab their hand and write it for them. There's some errors in some of the texts and some dates and some little things like that. These people were not perfect. Jesus is perfect. My, my, my faith is not in that every word in here is perfect. My faith is in that the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead after three days. That's where my faith is. But the Lord sent us His book so that we could know Him. I believe in this book. You know why? Jesus believed in this book. And if Jesus believed in this book, I believe in this book. Jesus quotes this book. I quote this book. They're like, do you believe in Jonah? I don't know, but the story means something because Jesus quoted Jonah. And if Jesus believed in the story, I'm teaching the story. If Jesus talked about Moses, I'm talking about Moses. They're like, oh, but I looked at the history and the very, yeah, yeah, talk with Jesus about that. I'll be in heaven talking to him about it. I don't know where you're going to be, but I'm going to be in heaven talking to Jesus and he can make it all clear. But until then, I'm following the example of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about this. A little bit. In, in verse 4, you can look it up later, he talks about um, uh, instructions that, that see this greater meaning in the text. In uh, a little later, he says that all the things recorded in the Old Testament were written as types for our instruction. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Let me give you an example. There's a story where um, the children of Israel were rebellious and um, snakes came and got them, like literal snakes. And there's a story about the snakes plaguing the children of Israel because they were rebellious. And then Moses, if you read the story, you know, he put this snake on a stick and lifted it up. And whoever looked at the snake on the stick was, was healed from the bite. You've heard that, right? And if you look at the symbol of a doctor to this day, it's the stick with the snake around it coming from this biblical sign of healing. That's, that's where it literally comes from. But yeah, yeah, how about that? And um, we're learning things in church. Who knew? Who knew? You might learn something in church. What do we know? What do we know? But look at this. Let me tell you for a second. Look at John chapter 3. Go ahead and, in your Bible. Turn to John chapter 3. We, we, we teach the Bible in this church. Is that all right? Let's look at John chapter 3. John 3. We're not, 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 not that scripture that you always know. We're going to actually read something in context here. Um, look at verse 14. This is Jesus talking, right? You're like, oh, is that really a story? I don't know. Let's, let's, let's look at the words of Jesus, right? John 3, chapter 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. 
You see, there was this story of snakes and them being bit and the snake being lifted up and people being healed. But Jesus said there is a deeper meaning to that story. See, I actually am the one who's being lifted up on a snake that who on a stake that whoever should believe in me shall be healed for all time. That story was for the children of Israel at a specific moment in a specific time, but it was a type and a shadow of what the Christ was going to go through so that all people for all time could look at Jesus. And when we see him, not just hear about him, but when we see him, we are healed that we shall not perish and not die like the children of Israel, but have everlasting life. This is that, 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 this is that sense of the census plenure that there is a deeper meaning to the text. And we don't get this deeper meaning by conspiracy theories. We don't get this deeper meaning by, oh, maybe I'll read the book of, of, of whatever. Or, oh, they found this thing and maybe Mary Magdalene was made. No, no, no. You, the Holy Ghost, the Bible, right? This is, how, this is what happens. You, Holy Ghost, Bible, speaks to your heart and what deeper meaning the Scriptures have for you. This is what we want to have happen in your life. And here's how you know when someone has encountered Jesus in the text. And in the spirit, there is this, this sense of awe that comes over you. There, there is this, there, as we talked about last week, there's this, there's this sense of the tremendous fascinitis, right? We talked about this last week where there is this amazing, amazing revelation that we see of God that at one point makes us want to run toward him. And at the other point brings great fear in our life, this, this, this dread, this terror of the holiness of God. Yet at the same time, we encounter his love that says, I have to be near him. I have to touch him. I have to know him. I have to do what it takes to encounter the living God. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be experiencing. This is what we're supposed to be Seeking. This is what we aim to accomplish in worship, a presence of God that you come in and you worship in a way that the spirit of God comes and touches you and changes you forever. It's this thing that we know our spirit bears witness that Jesus Christ is alive. This is what Christianity in America needs today. This is what we have to carry out in this area. We don't, we, don't, we don't need more billboards. We don't need bumper stickers. We don't need TV shows. We don't need news channels. We need people who have experienced the presence of God to carry that presence into the world. We need people who have been marked by Jesus carrying that image into the world in a way that they can't Doubt that we know him. How do we know? How do we, how do we get that? We do it by the encounter with God. We're going to have prayer tonight. And what we're going to do tonight in prayer, whether one comes, 50 comes, or 500 comes, we're going to pray. We're just going to play some music. And some of us are just going to pray, and we're just going to wait on God. We're going to wait on God to come and touch people deeply. And I believe people are going to get visions. People are going to get answers. People are going to get encounters. I've uh, entered into a, see, this, this message isn't about me at all, but 
Um, as, as, as your pastor, sometimes God uses me as the forerunner in this house. I go and I blaze some trails, and I have had a season of prophetic dreams. It, it's, been, it's been so uncanny that I'm now expecting them. Um, I go to sleep just so I can encounter Jesus. Last Sunday, I went home after church, and I was a little troubled in my spirit, and I said, let me just talk to Jesus. I laid down for a second, and in a, I, I might have been asleep 45 seconds, and I had like a two-hour encounter with Jesus. I woke up completely changed. I was like, the Lord has spoken to me, and I'm believing this is going to happen to people in this house. Amen? Amen. Oh, Jesus. Let me tell you about an encounter I had. I'm going to tell you about an encounter I had a couple years ago. I'm going to try to not go long today because we have communion. A couple years ago, my family went on a vacation to Atlanta. And uh, because of who we are, our trip to Atlanta, we decided we're going to visit all the significant places in Martin Luther King's life. Like it was a history tour. That's, that's what we do. And, um, and I went to the, uh, we went to his house and uh, like the rooms are blocked off. They're like, that's his Bible over there. You don't go in the room. I'm like, uh-huh. And I just waited until they went up. Like, <laughs> I don't think there was anything magical on the Bible, but I touched it regardless. I didn't care. Um, <clears throat> and we went around. And then we wound up going into the, uh, the church that first his father was a senior pastor. And then Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was the co-pastor with his dad. Later, he was the pastor. And uh, they have two large stained glass windows on the side. One is his father and one uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is there. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't explain what happened. And I don't have time to fully um, unpack why this was significant to me. But I was just, my family understood something was happening for me. And uh, they just gave me a little room. And uh, I asked if I could go on stage and stand behind the pulpit. And they were like, absolutely not. And I was like, you sure? He's like, eh, I have a gun. I'm like, okay, I got gotcha. you. I won't go anywhere. So I just I sat on the second row, and as I um, as I sat on the second row, um, believe this or not, maybe this is just what I saw or how God communicated to me. I'm going to communicate it to you as I experienced it. I sat on the second row, and an angel appeared to me. As clear as you see me right now, I saw an angel standing there. And this angel began to talk to me about writing about civil rights, about writing about inequality, about standing against inequality in our country. And I was like, well, that's okay. That's like, and, and, and then in the presence of God began to just, I mean, it so enveloped me. I just began to cry uncontrollably. I'm just sitting here. In this tourist attraction, you know, 15 feet from where Martin Luther King, a man I have, I'll use the word idolized since my childhood, uh, he's preaching where he had been preaching, and I'm sitting there crying uncontrollably. And the angel said to me, you must write, you must write, you must write. And then I looked down, and at my feet was the exact pen that I, at the time, always journaled with. It was the, like, I'm, I'm a geek. And I have a pen that I journal with. I, I use a pen for a season. I have a journal that I journal in. I'm, I, I, and in that season, I use the Pilot G2 0.7 tip pen that I, that I journal with. And I look down, and at my feet is a Pilot G2 0.7 tip pen that I did not bring with me. 
And I'm like, my God, the God, God is speaking with me. And I was like, what, what, what am I supposed to write? I don't, I don't get it. And then just a couple short years later, our country went crazy. And all of a sudden, people getting shot wasn't a big deal. And I started posting stuff on Facebook. I started writing. I started writing. And people started leaving my church. I'm like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. And people would call me, well-meaning people, I believe. You know, you're, you're really offending people. I was like, I bet, I bet I'm not offending any black people. I bet there's not a person of color who's getting offended right now. I bet there's nobody in power getting, I mean, there's nobody who feels disempowered being offended. Like, like I, I, I just, my wife would be like, are you sure? And I was like, I, I'm, I'm writing. I am writing. Why? Because I encountered God. God put something on the inside of me. And I, I, I tell you what, I was, um, I talked with a pastor recently. And he's like, yeah, when all that civil rights stuff was going on, I started writing stuff. And a friend came to me and said, hey, you're going to be planting a church, and this might kind of mess with things. I'm really glad he told me that. And I'm like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure glad the apostles didn't take that approach. I'm sure glad that Job didn't listen to his friends like that. I mean, at some point, if you're going to encounter God, it may cost you something. It, there may actually be a price to be a follower of Jesus Christ in your life. And you need to know that you know that you know that God is with you in that season. That he's called you to be on that battlefield. Now, if I could do it over again, I probably would have written some of that with a little more clear heart. Let me be honest with you. I was fairly angry sometimes, but I do not regret taking a bold stand. And I'll tell you what. I would not take down one single post to get back somebody who was offended that I did it. Amen. I said, one day my kids are going to grow up and this is going to be a history lesson. And my kids are going to be able to say, yeah, my, my, my dad, he, he took a stand during that and he paid a price for it. He paid, that's a, and that's a legacy I want to hand down. I mean, ain't no one going to brag about, well, things were going on and I played it cool and I didn't lose anybody at my church. I don't want that on my tombstone. I want to say Carl stood for something. Amen. Carl encountered God and he obeyed the Holy Ghost. I'm, I, I put on my Twitter profile as a, a troubler of the powerful. That's what I do, causing problems for the powerful. That's, that's, that's what Christians do. That's what apostles do. That's what prophets do. That's what evangelists do. We don't kowtow to the, those, who, those who have power. We don't bow down to those who think they're in charge. We don't say, oh, I better couch my words so I don't hurt people's feelings. No, no, no. We proclaim the truth of God whether people want to hear it or not. Now we can season it with honey, but we got to say it regardless. In the name of Jesus. There's right and there's wrong. And if you've encountered Jesus, get a little bit of courage and declare the truth in your, in your atmosphere. Hallelujah. 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 Abraham, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 14, he, he defeated this king named Kaldemar. That's not how you pronounce his name, but I can't pronounce it. It's like, it, it looks like Kaldemar, but it's not Kaldemar, right? But he defeated this guy named Kaldemar, and, uh, and then Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, shows up, right? And uh, the king of Salem shows up, and, and Abraham came, and he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, clearly, as you read the Old Testament text, there was a man who was the king of Salem, named Melchizedek. Abraham gave him a tithe, 
But he said, I will not steal anything from the Lord. There is no way I'm not giving this to you. I will not rob God by not giving my tithe. I will not. And so the New Testament writer, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews is a, is a sermon that was written down and passed around. And the sermon writer looks at that story and he says, that Melchizedek that Abraham met, that was Jesus. Now, was it Jesus in like, did Jesus live and become the king of Salem? I don't know. Was the spirit of Jesus upon Melchizedek? I don't know. Was Jesus speaking through Melchizedek? I don't know, but I know that none of that matters. I know for the New Testament writer, and in that moment for Abraham, when he encountered Melchizedek, he was encountering the living God. So the Old Testament writers, or the New Testament writers, are looking at this Old Testament scripture with a revelation that they could not get on their own. You see, even in your life, there's things that are happening right now. There's struggles that you're going through today that may not look like much right now, but But in the future, your children and your children's children are going to be looking at the story of your life with a prophetic lens. And when my kids look at that period that happened, it looks like, man, oh, his church was falling apart. People didn't like him. But my children are going to stand in a pulpit one day and say, no, no, I come from a long legacy of people who stand up for righteousness when it's not popular. I come from a people who declare truth who associate with the persecuted. You see, what we're doing in this life right now might not look like much. Just like when Abraham gave that little offering. He's like, I'm just giving an offering. He didn't know that thousands of years later, there would be somebody writing a book and said, Abraham encountered God that was way beyond his own faith level, beyond his own understanding level. That's why the Bible says there's times when you help somebody in need, you have helped an angel and you didn't even know it. You see, sometimes God brings someone in your path who needs a little help because you need to sow a little seed. God's like, I need to help this person, but there's not quite enough seed in the ground for the breakthrough they need. So I will send this needy person who's really an angel. You don't even know it. You think you're going to bless them, but really you blessing them is going to bless you. And so he sent somebody for you to sow into so that you can get the harvest that you need. Is this making sense to anybody right now? Abraham didn't know. Abraham didn't know that because of his offering, that offspring for generations upon generations upon generations will be prophesying to their children that God, you would raise them up to be a man of faith like Abraham. I'm hoping years from now and generations from now, my children's children will say that you would be a man of God like Tracy. You would be a man of God like Carl. That you would be a person of faith like my family was back in the day. This is what I'm hoping for. And I hope you do as well. And so God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, man, this Melchizedek, this Melchizedek, he, he was the priest. He, was, he came as the king and and, 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 and we know years later, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, because of that, Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You cannot find that in the Old Testament. It's not there. The Holy Ghost breathed it. But God said to Abraham, as he did that in Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. 
and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I take that for me. How about you? I lay claim to that same blessing. You bless me, you're going to be blessed. I know that. I'm good ground. I just tell, I'm good ground. When I first got into ministry, my wife was like, oh, no, no, they gave this thing. I'd be like, baby, we are good ground. They're going to be blessed for blessing us. And I'm not being selfish or prideful, but I have sowed a lot of seed into a lot of people. I know what good ground looks like. I have sowed into lots of folks, rich, poor, and everything in between. I'm like, you are good ground. People are like, Pastor, I don't know why you spend an hour. I don't go to your church. You help me through this season. You keep me. I was like, because you are good ground. You are going to change things for people, and God's going to bless me for blessing you. I know this. I know this. I'm expecting my, I got blessings stored up. Like I got so many blessings stored up right now. I'm just watching them come. And listen, if you have not, if you weren't around for my Abraham message series, go listen to it. It is going to bless you abundantly. It's on the website. But I take that promise for me. God will bless whoever blesses me. And I have given people opportunity to bless me who chose not to. I'm like, oh, that's, that's between you and God. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. I hold on to those promises, Duke. I'm like, telling you what the word says. I've never seen anybody curse this ministry and it work out well for them. Just telling you, I've never seen it happen. But let me show you this real quick before I end this. Oh, Jesus. Okay, here we go. I want to show you something really quick. In verse 1 of just Genesis chapter 12, he says, Go from your country to the land I will show you. Go from your father's house to the land I will show you. I mean, don't you wish God just showed you where to go? Put up the next point if you would. Faith requires us to walk before we see. Faith requires us to walk before we see. God, when he's talking to us so many times, you'll just be like, I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. Why? I don't know. Because God said, you start walking and then I will show you. I was just a dude on a mission trip about a billion years ago. And, uh, and uh, I was praying for somebody. And I just began to prophesy. It's, it's, I, nobody was more surprised than me. I was prophesying. I remember the first time I ministered. I was in this little church before I went to Nicaragua, about three months before. I was in Jacksonville. And I was ministering at a church in Jacksonville. I had been saved a minute. I mean, hey, nobody should have me ministering anywhere. But I was on fire, and I yelled a lot. And apparently, they thought that meant I was anointed. So I was ministering at this church in Jacksonville. And we had an altar call. And there were people up there. And I was praying for somebody. And I was screaming. And I was screaming in tongues. And I was declaring. And I was yelling. And then I finally opened my eyes, and there was nobody there anymore. Like, they had been on the ground for a long time. And I was just standing there. Like, nobody was more shocked that I was anointed than I was. I was, I had no, I couldn't believe it. So I get on the mission field and I began to prophesy over this person and I couldn't stop. And it just kept coming out of my mouth. And I looked around me like, look, I'm not doing this. I don't know what's happening. And these words just kept coming out of me. And so then I came back to America. I was like, well, that was was pretty cool. I mean, I'd I'd like that to happen now and then. And so God would give me prophetic words. and And by words, I mean like he would give me like three words and not like the point of the prophetic word, like He would say, go to that person and say, the Lord says. 
Like, you could finish that sentence first. That would be great, God. He's like, no, no, just, just, just go with that. Go to the land that I will show you. Oh, Jesus. All right, here we go. I'm on the ride with Jesus. And I would just have to walk up to them. And as I began the prophetic word, he would give me the rest of the word. That happened for two years. This is how God used me. And it's how I learned to trust God that not to make up prophetic words. I would just begin and hope that he would give me the rest. You got to start walking in the direction God tells you. Not wait for him to give you the whole story. Not wait for him to give you the whole picture. I mean, if in the timing of the Lord. But this was, mother, this was Moses' father. He was the priest of Midian. So we know that Moses had been discipled here by this man who, who knew Yahweh. And Moses was out in this season. And he sees the burning bush. And he says this in verse 10. Let's read our scripture again. Exodus 3.10. And now come, Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, assuredly, I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. See, God had to challenge three doubts in Moses before he could send them. And there's doubts that we have to overcome as well. The first one, if you go to God, put it up. If you go to God, he's going to send you to others. You want to get close to God? He's going to send you to other people. Don't tell me you spend tea with Jesus, but you haven't told anybody about Jesus. It's not possible to be around Jesus and not have a heart for other people. It's not possible to see the goodness of the Lord and not think, I need to invite someone to church. I need to share what has happened in my life. This is what happened. Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to be great, then you will serve people. There is no great Christian who is not serving others. And so he told them, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you can bring my people out of Egypt. I, I, I tell you, if you're like, I don't know where to take my next step in Jesus. I, I feel like God has called me to something greater. I feel like this is something wonderful. Here's, here's your next step. Start serving. Hold a door. Hold a baby. You don't have to have a PhD in theology to do these things. You just need to have a heart to sow back into Jesus what he has given to you. Amen? You just need to you can pass out a, at, at, at a, an offering plate. You can be an usher. You can serve in our greeting team, our production team. You can do something, but begin serving the living God. God accomplishes his works through the willing obedience of servants. This is what God does. God uses people to minister to other people. Second thing that had to happen, if you go to God, he's going to challenge your insecurities. Have you noticed that God is not concerned with your boundaries? He is not concerned with your boundaries at all. He is going to challenge your insecurities. Watch this in verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I that I may go to Pharaoh? Let me get the band to come up. Who am I that I may go to Pharaoh that I should bring the sons of Israel out? Listen, and here's what Moses, here's what God says to Moses. He didn't say, oh, Moses, oh, oh, I'm sorry you're feeling insecure. Man, you're really great, though. I just think you're wonderful. You're just, I'm so lucky to have you. I don't know what I'd do without you, Moses. I just created everything, you know, but, but no, that's, that's not what God does. What did God say? 
God said, God said, God said, he didn't say you're great. He said, yeah, yeah, that's right, Moses. You're not great. You're nothing. That's why I'm using you. I said that I would go with you. I am the one who's going to be there doing things. I just need a willing vessel for me to work through. You're like, I don't know what I would tell somebody to invite them to church. Here's what you say. You want to come to church and wait for the Holy Ghost to give you something else. You just wait for the Spirit of God to move. You just be a willing vessel. God is looking for willing vessels to go do His will. Can you say amen? amen. Moses said, I'm not adequate. But God said, no, you aren't, but I am. I am adequate. I am able to do this thing through you. I am able to get my will accomplished through you. God didn't say he'd make Moses adequate. He didn't say he was going to enroll him in a leadership school. He didn't say he was going to give him special abilities. He, he, didn't, he didn't meet Moses' inadequacy and, and say, you know, hey, I'm going to give you sufficiency. No, God didn't tell Moses he had to be great. He told him he had to trust in God. This is what Moses had to do, and this is what we have to do in this season. We have to trust in God. We have to trust in the words he's spoken to us. In seasons where there are many gods and many things to follow in this world, Moses asked God this question. He's like, God, how are they going to know that you sent me? How, 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 what, 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 what do I tell them when they ask? You see, because everybody had their own God those days. And many had their own God these days. And they're asking, hey, how do I know, how do I know the living God was, was with you? And in verse 13, he says, what, what, what's your name? What, what God do I tell him sent me? And he says, you just tell him that I am sent you. Mikey, give me some keyboard. Tell him the I am sent you. If you go to God, He will send you in His power. If you go to God, He will send you in His power. You see, names have significance. Jesus met Peter and said, they've been calling you the wrong name. How are you going to meet somebody and rename them right away? But God... Some scholars think that like the Jewish leaders, they never wrote the name of God. They didn't speak the name of God. As a matter of fact, in their scriptures, they never put the vowels in. So we don't even know exactly how they pronounced his name. Some say it was Jehovah, which is really a Greek version of Yahweh. We don't know exactly because the vowels aren't there. And so some scholars believe that it was a secret among the priests what his real name was. So if somebody got a prophetic word, they would say, well, what name did he tell you? What, what, what God are you hearing from? And so Moses goes to Jethro and is like, the I am sent me. He said, just tell him, I am sent you. That, 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 that is the only God that they should have been listening to. Amen? In, the, in, in, in a season of many gods... He's like, tell them the only God you should have been listening to has sent you to free them from the house of Pharaoh. And in this day and age, 
in this age, we have to be bold enough to go when God tells us to go. We have to be bold enough to encounter God and carry the encounter into the world. Will you stand with me? And I want to show you one of the wildest verses in Scripture. Verse verse 12. Moses said, What will be a sign that you have sent me, Jesus? What will be a sign, God, living God Almighty? How will I know that you have sent me? Verse 12. He says, Here's how you'll know that I sent you to go to the strongest nation in the world and come up against the Pharaoh of that nation and their army and steal their slave force from him. Here's the sign that you'll know I have sent you. He says, when you're victorious, you'll come back and you'll worship on this mountain. Wait, that's... I'm like, will a dove fly by? Or will you speak a special word to me? No, no, no. No, I'm I'm not going to say it again. I'm not going to give you a third confirmation. I'm not going to send somebody out of the woods. I'm not going to stop the rain. I'm not going to have a whirlwind. There's not going to be an earthquake. There's not going to be a famine. I'm not going to send a a, a company of prophets. Here is going to be your sign, Moses. You're going to do what I told you to do. And after you do what I told you to do, you're going to stand on this mountain and you're going to worship me. And when you stand on this mountain and worship me, You're going to remember, my God, it was the living God who made all of this possible. I know this has happened to some of you. I know sometimes you've just been living your life and something happened and you're like, three years ago, God spoke this very thing to me right here. My God, I remember God told me this thing. I remember He promised me this thing. I remember He told me that I would come through this and that He would be with me. Some of you, let me tell you this, put it up if you would. Moses would never have victory until he went. Moses was not going to have victory until he went. And sometimes the demons in your life, the problems in your life, the tribulations in your life, the obstacles in your life, the the things that God wants to bring you into, you can't get to until you get through the things he sent you to come against. The sin maybe he told you to get some victory over. Possibly the uncomfortable conversation or you stepping out out of your comfort zone and finally telling the truth about what's going on. Come on somebody, you can't hear me right now. But I'm telling you, the victory is coming when you finally start walking toward God. This is the faith God wants to put on the inside of you. This is the faith that caused the wise men to follow the star to worship Jesus and give an offering. This is the faith that caused blind Bartimaeus who cried out loudly to Jesus for mercy so he could receive his sight. This is the faith that caused the centurion who believed that all Jesus had to do was speak a word and his servant would be healed. This is the faith that the four men who ripped open the roof and brought their paralytic friend down in the middle of a house to be healed by Jesus. This is the faith that the Canaanite woman who said, just the crumbs from the table will heal my daughter. And she received her daughter back whole. This is the faith that the ten lepers caused calling for mercy to be healed and cleansed. And the one grateful leper who was made whole. This is the faith that little Zacchaeus 
Texas tax collector who climbed up a tree to see Jesus and salvation came not only to Jesus but his whole house. This is a faith that causes us to do things we're scared to do. This is a faith that causes us to step out and speak the name of Jesus. This is a faith that says, I'm not that person anymore. I've been bought with a price. God has died for my salvation and raised from the dead for my life. And I'm going to follow him with who I am. You say amen. Come on, give a clap offering to God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 And today, we're going to receive the table of the Lord. If you're a usher, if you need an element, I want you to raise your hand right now. Historically, throughout the church,